hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to a Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Uh, a slightly delayed recording with the lovely Mark McManus from Trap One. Say hello, Mark. Hello. Thanks very much for having me back. Now, look, we were going to record this last week, weren't we? We were. Yeah. Sorry about that. I had to bail at the last minute. But uh, yeah, here now for an Easter special recording. I thought my opinions about the doctor's wife were so inflammatory. That you were like, <laughs> yeah. I cannot talk to this man anymore. It's, it's taken me a week to calm down from that. <laughs> in fact, we were in absolute accord, weren't we? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a stone cold classic as far as I'm concerned. Well, have you noticed every one of these that we've done? Oh, no, we did deep breath. And I was not at all convinced until the end. And then I was. Yeah, that's a deep breath that I absolutely love as well. And uh, fittingly, we are doing the uh, the continuation from Deep Breath uh, this week. And next week, we're doing Robot Show. No, I've already done that one. So, <laughs> um, well, I've got a question for you mm-hmm. about the 12th Doctor. Because I know you were very keen on the first three Stephen Moffat seasons, that you really liked yep. Matt Smith as the Doctor. Uh, I mean, what's wrong with you, honestly? Uh, (laughs) Um, But I also know that the 12th Doctor is your favourite Doctor of all. Is that right? Of the new series. Yeah, he's uh, he's my favourite 21st century Doctor. Yeah, just just immediately just clicked with me. Um, Thought his performance was fantastic. I love the way it evolved over the three years. But I mean, even even before I knew where it was going by series 10, uh, yeah, I, I really loved him. I think it was just such a nice change after the uh, Tennant and, and Matt Smith, and it really felt to me like he was harking back to the to the classic Doctors as well, where they could be a bit grumpy and they weren't as manic as uh, as you know we'd got used to by that stage. Do you think that was how the general audience felt as well? I don't think so. No. <laughs> um, but I, my philosophy is always kind of not to worry about that. I know there's a lot of fans online who worry about ratings and the perception and the casual view and things like that. But I think that's so far out of my control um, that I don't really worry about it. You know, people say, oh, they shouldn't have made a reference to the 70s because it will go over the heads of of casual viewers or new fans and things and i think well well so what like i watch loads of american tv and there's a bunch of cultural references in it that i totally go over my head and i don't understand it doesn't put me off watching things and it's the doctor is the only sort of science fiction series where where people kind of worry about that stuff you know like if you watch game of thrones there's there isn't even a previously on game of thrones is that they just uh, you just launch straight into it and you're expected to pay attention but i, I don't know why and it's a slightly not the question you're asking, but um, I don't know why people don't expect Doctor Who fans to pay attention in a way that they would pay attention to, uh, you know, stuff like like Game of Thrones. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of, you know, the reaction to the Doctor, I think, you know, some people might not like it, but plenty of people did. I think we talked about when we did um, Deep Breath about um, the lady that, you know, that that created a new fan. Um her name's just gone out of my head. Uh, she's at Cowbear Creates a thing on Twitter that does all the amazing models. Millie, Millie McKenzie. Yes, yes. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, her, her name just just completely slipped out of my head. Yeah, Millie McKenzie. That you know, Deep Breath turned her into a fan, 
And what an amazing part of fandom she is with those incredible models and artwork and things like that. So yeah, as, I think as many people must have enjoyed Peter Capaldi's performance as, as didn't. Um, and, you know, I do think that New Doctors should be a contrast to the, and a reaction against maybe the ones that went before. I was just fucking relieved that Matt Smith had gone. I would have taken anyone. <laughs> I, know, I know, I absolutely accept that that is my opinion and it is a rare mm. opinion at that i've i do believe there's a small group of us you know like a little cult that meet up every now and again <laughs> pictures of his face but um <laughs> no it's interesting because i i wasn't ready for matt smith to leave I, I felt like his final season he was still doing new and interesting things in a way that by the time tenant went i was kind of ready for him to leave feel like he was doing a lot of his shtick uh that uh you know that, that we'd already seen whereas it felt to me like matt smith was still putting new spins on it and, and interesting new line deliveries and that kind of thing that's interesting i think with tenant i thought he peaked at four and then the specials that just felt like sort of spinning wheels until he was going with mm. matt smith, i just think he came out of the park so strong in that first year and come seven what i always say like he was reduced to like a series of quirks and i don't think that's entirely true because matt smith's too good an actor for that to be the case but i think maybe there was a little bit of laziness in the writing and and they weren't doing as interesting things capaldi came along and talk about a shot of adrenaline i don't think anyone was prepared for this acerbic you know stubborn nasty occasionally you know unlikable still funny but mm-hmm. kind of acidic doctor after after Tennant and after Matt Smith, who seems so tailored to appeal to sort of a general audience, suddenly along comes Colin Baker. Oh, sorry, Peter Capaldi. Um, <laughs> and and everyone's a bit sort of, well, what the hell is this? I, yeah, like, I, I, I like the shock of it. I like the fact that it's a bit dangerous game for Moffat to play. It's not the easy route. And that's interesting. Yeah, at the time, I remember thinking, was it a deliberate thing? Because this was the start of a new regeneration cycle. So, you know, Matt Smith, having been technically the 13th Doctor, when you count the War Doctor and the sort of vanity 10th Doctor, that it was a deliberate move to take him back to more in the mould of the first Doctor, where, you know, he wasn't as sort of, you know, cuddly and gregarious and stuff. In, in the complete history, um, they, they talk about that uh, Stephen Moffat had indicated to uh, to his co-writer, um, uh, Phil Ford, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> just my blank again there. That the 12th Doctor would be more akin to uh, to the remote, almost ex- acerbic elements of the early adventures of the 4th Doctor as played by Tom Baker. And I think this story does have uh, a moment or two as well that, that reminds me of, of Tom Baker, who, again, as you think of as being quite jokey and stuff, but he does have some some dark moments and acerbic moments, doesn't he? Another massive improvement to this. I promise we'll go into the episode at some point. But, you know, we've only got 45 <laughs> minutes to talk about it, so I think we need to do a bit of groundwork before we go in because there's a lot mm-hmm. in the episode about the episode to talk about as well. Definitely. Um, But one thing I think really works in Series 8. Now, Series 8 is in my top five new series seasons. 
it's my favourite Moffat season, and people think I'm crazy. Cy right. Hart says I'm bloody contrary because it ain't Series Five. <laughs> but Series Five's got that dreary Silurian two-parter and Victory of the Daleks in it, you know. Whereas I think Series Eight is pretty much one banger after another on the whole. I agree. Reasons, and I think as well, it's got a visual palette to it. It's got a, it's got a really interesting look. And there was a massive injection of horror into the series again as well. Mm. I pushed away from the fantasy and back into scaring the little nippers, which I, I always love for Doctor Who. But one thing it really got right for me, and it's the only time it went right for me, was Clara. I didn't really like Clara in Series 7B. I know you don't mind her, but she was a bit sort of generic companion. And that was deliberate because of she was the impossible girl and you know we weren't really supposed to pin her down or know who she was and in nine she was supposed to leave wasn't she in last christmas i believe originally i think i've heard that yeah and then jenna Coleman said stephen moffat now i'm not ready to go can i go and i think you can kind of tell because she shoehorned into a fair few episodes in series nine and it ain't until sort of the latter half where she's getting a lot to do again and focuses on her and she's written out but in A, I think there's a really condensed character arc between the Doctor and the Assistant in A. And it's not the lovey-dovey character arc of the Ten and Rose or mm. the, you know, um, I'll never be as good as the last one as Ten and Martha or just besties like Ten and Donna. And it isn't the sort of family dynamic of all of the stuff that happened in the 11th Doctor era. It's a really interesting, slightly toxic, occasionally, um, bumpy road between the 12th Doctor and Clara. I was absolutely riveted as this season mm. played out, especially when you get to the sort of uh, Mummy on the Orient Express that would kill the moon flatline part of the season. And I was yeah. like, I'm not sure we've had character work this well acted in the series today you know like it was it was so good like what what are your thoughts on clara this year yeah i i mean i did like her right from the off i think in series 7b i always felt she was a sarah jane type companion and there was a there was a, a number of beats that were similar to, to sarah jane where there's i can't remember which story it is now but she has a similar conversation about well what if we don't i think it's in cold war isn't it she says well you know what if we don't save the you know we don't kind of beat the ice warrior here because we know in the future that there wasn't a nuclear war sort of thing uh which is like the bit in pyramids of mars and then i think she has a similar conversation about how can she understand you know the different languages and that it might be in cold war as well actually but yeah it's uh... a direct link there between the young fest that is cold war and pyramids of mars Yes, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think in terms of uh, in terms of Clara hitting some of the same character beats as uh, Sarah Jane, anyway. Which, uh, so yeah, and then yeah, she, but yeah, she's much more like you say fleshed out and and a really really interesting character across this series. And then yeah, by by the end of it, it's uh, you know it's really brutal what happens to her, isn't it? With um, with uh, Danny Pink and everything. Well, Danny Pink, who is introduced in this episode, and we'll meet him in a bit. <laughs> in a very odd subplot that has no connection at all to the episode that we're watching. <laughs> it's, it is a little bit, that kind of rom-com stuff with Danny Pink at the start is uh, is not totally in keeping with the rest of the episode, is it? No, that's when I think he's at his most likeable, you know. And those scenes in, yeah. um, what's it called, Listen, where she's trying to have dinner with him and then the spaceman walks in. Yeah. That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but 
she really and I feel like Jenna Coleman's suddenly a lot more comfortable as well. Like I I I feel there's a massive difference between how she's characterized in 7B to and then you and I talked about it in Deep Breath where mm. suddenly she's having prolonged character scenes with Vastra and the doctor in the restaurant, you know, and and she's being labeled as like a control freak and all of this stuff. I don't know, just so much so much easier to grasp as a character. And she's slightly flawed in that kind of rose way. Yeah. And yeah. not always likable in that rose way. Mm. And so that's a person that I can believe in. There was always a distance in Series 7B, though, because the Doctor was trying to figure out, wasn't he, what, how he kept meeting her and, and thinking there was more to her and, you know, the way in Hyde he takes her to meet that psychic and things like that. So, like you say, in terms of her being more comfortable in Series 8, I think, you know, they he now knows who she is and that she's not a threat or a trap or anything like that. So There's very it, odd it, scenes in the Rings of Akaten where he goes back to her childhood and he's sitting there on the swing watching her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that is a bit odd yeah well okay Uh, i'm gonna ask you one more question then before Mm -hmm. we go into the episode and that is what do you think of the waters of mars yeah quite i think it's the best of those specials um that i mean i don't massively um enjoy those specials but i think that's that's easily the best of them i i think i think as a collaboration i think uh, Waters of Mars, because that's Phil Ford and Rusty Davis. This is that's right, yeah. Stephen Moffat. I think Waters of Mars is a little bit better than this for me, because it's got one. It's got one of those wonderful things that they do, bringing in all that big ensemble cast on a base, mm-hmm. and sort of picks them off one by one. And I love the, I love that. It's traditional Doctor Who, but I do, but done particularly well with phenomenal Graham Harper direction. But as a second sucker punch, we're, I've got a feeling Phil Ford did a lot of the Into the Dalek stuff and Moffat did the subplot, which ties into the season, I, I think. I mean, have you read about this? Do you know how much Moffat was involved in this? Yeah, so in, in The Complete History, it explains that, that Moffat came up with this idea of being shrunk and put into a Dalek when they were firing around ideas for those... Do you remember those PC games that came uh, that came out the early 11th Doctor era, you could download them. There was City of the Daleks, and there was one about the gunpowder plot. Oh, yeah. They were, yeah. Yeah, they're free to download, and they were firing ideas about. And he said, oh, what about one where they get shrunk and go into a Dalek? And they went, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And he went, no, wait, I want to keep that for an episode. Um, so he immediately, having said it, realized what a good kind of concept it was. So he had that kind of in his back pocket, and then when they wanted to do the 12th Doctor's first Dalek story, he thought, oh, yeah, that's a good one to do. So he gave that, I think, concept to Phil Ford to start working on. Uh, so, yeah, the the, the premise is, is his. But, yeah, I think then Phil Ford kind of, you know, maybe wrote the early drafts. I've had a lot of people on this podcast say that they don't really think Moffat's all that interesting in the Daleks. Like, you know, as they're typically written, you know, sort of Nazi-esque force going around, you know, sterilizing the universe. So what he tries to do every time is do something a bit interesting with them. Victory of the Daleks, you know, they're the good guys, in inverted commas, or, you know, those weird bubble bath Daleks, whatever that was all about. But it was trying to do something new with them. Um, yeah. What's to that? Asylum of the Daleks, I mean, as a concept, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I know you love that one. I do, I do, yeah. We'll talk, all right, we'll talk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think because I mean, you've seen them, you know, invade so many times, and you, you know, you, 
the yeah the you know it's like the whole thing isn't it about Terry Nation when they said um when he, he gave the script to Genesis the initial Genesis of Daleks before it was Genesis of Daleks he handed it over to Town Sticks and uh and Barry Letts and they said it's a good script but it's the same one that you told us last year you know uh so yeah you, you kind of see them in similar situations a lot I like the stories where they're doing something different like Revelation of the Daleks you know when Davros is pretending to be the great healer yeah that that stuff's great so yeah i applaud doing anything different with them and yeah those those stories that you just mentioned i i really like all of them and then is this is this the last dalek story he did i know rusty appears again in twice upon a time is it oh no of course of course there's uh the magician's apprentice and uh, the witch is familiar i still feel it's more of a davros story than it is a Dalek yeah. story. Uh, but again, it's doing something completely different. And this, I think, is is the biggest divergence of all. Let's play Honey, I Shrunk the Humans, and off they popped <laughs> to a Dalek. And in terms of, like, a cinematic idea for a Doctor Who story, I think this might be one of the biggest. Yeah. That's it. And they got a movie director in, of course, to, to direct it. And boy, are we going to talk about how he directed this. Well, uh, okay, fine. I've kept us talking for 20 minutes. We probably should go and watch <laughs> this episode. Are you ready for this? Ready. Okay, okay. Uh, why don't you count us in then? Okay, three, two, one. That would be brief. I've still got the sound on. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we haven't seen too much of this in Doctor Who. This is like a proper Star Wars, you know, kind of ships flying through space you know we've seen seen very little of that throughout the the new series i think you know even um see jack's spaceship don't you in in world war three um no not world war three what's it called the empty child and uh the doctor dances we see so little of it whereas this is properly this is like a scene from star wars where the uh, a star destroyer is is hunting down the millennium falcon or something it's this huge ship chasing a tiny one through an asteroid belt and the 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 shots are ringing out. It's, uh, I think it looks absolutely gorgeous. I swear, it's one of not a Star Wars influences in this, though. There's loads, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is what set during uh, the period where the Daleks are just raging war on the entire galaxy. Yeah. It's sort of unnamed period of time. Yeah. But it's the time war Daleks, isn't it? So, I don't think it's the same sort of, you know, that you'd see in Death to the Daleks or anything like that or Planet of the Daleks. I think this is. These are new, these are post-time war Daleks who've, you know, spreading out and conquering as well. Who knows what they changed during during that time, you know. This um this sequence here, right, where she wakes up in the TARDIS and you got that really kind of menacing Murray Gold music playing and Peter Capaldi behaving in a very sort of weird way here. I yeah. love <laughs> this. When this first was on, I absolutely loved this scene. And I was like, I don't know if I like this guy, but I can't take my eyes off him. Yeah, and it is that thing of being, you know, a bit, you know, the first Doctor for the first few stories where they don't know if they can trust him. Well, they, and they and they can't trust him because he takes them to the to the Dalek city, doesn't he? And, and uh, you know, he's he is a bit mysterious and aloof and everything. But I will be honest, honest, this is the level of man pain I like. Is him sort of sitting on a step and saying, "You know, Clara, am I a good man?" Like that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> By the time we get to Hell Bent and he's raging against the whole universe, you know, I'm like, all right. This is a bit much now. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it, when I rewatched this, it occurred to me. So when, when you get the white flash, when he was materialized around Journey Blue, and I, I never thought of this before, and I watched this story, 
you get the white flash when the soldiers save are uh, not saved, but when she dies later on and appears in Missy's realm. Yeah. Which is obviously a visual clue that it's the same technology that's collecting people. But obviously at this stage, no idea who Missy is or anything like that. So it's only on rewatches that that, that, that makes sense. So it's quite a nice uh yeah, oh, just clue. No wonder you got a podcast. Do you know what? I was just watching that TARDIS set there, you know. There's so much to look at. There's all lights coming up the floor, smoke everywhere, bookcases all I don't know where my eye goes to first, but it's just all over the place. It's a great beautiful, great isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I would love to have visited that. I think the last time I went to the, the Doctor Experience, you know, when they were doing the, the tours, but uh, it was closed at that time of filming or something like that. I'd, I would have loved to have seen it in real life. Very angry in that experience, you know, with all these kids at the console, they wouldn't let the adults through. I'm like, get out of the way, you bloody kids. I want to touch the buttons. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. the last time... Oh, sorry, go on. Uh, the last time I went, it was on a work day. I was, I was on holiday and we went down. There was no kids there. So the, the poor people were, were uh, the, you know, the poor uh, guides and stuff were trying to get people engaged and pressing the oh, buttons and stuff. Oh, it was no. just loads of, like, adults who were just really embarrassed and they were just, like, looking at their feet <laughs> and shuffling <laughs> You should have taken me. I'd have got you involved. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is that fella from Spaced, isn't it? Um, My, Michael Smiley. Is that his name? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, Michael Smiley. Yeah, he's from uh, yeah, he's from, uh, from Spaced, and and yeah, kind of quite a few movies by this director, isn't it? Um, his name's just gone out of my head. I'm really bad for names today. What the director? Yeah, uh, Wheatley, isn't it? Um, ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, you ain't going to agree with me. I think this is better directed than Deep Breath. You know, I think uh, there's some pacing issues with Deep Breath. I think that some scenes are a bit too long. It holds the camera a bit. But I think this is one of the best directed new series mm. episodes. Well, I remember at the time Stephen Moffat saying that with Series 8, they were aiming for longer scenes and a slightly slower pace to... I know you're talking about, um, you know, sort of Clara getting those longer scenes with... Madame Vastra and everything, and, and that was part of his, you know, wanting to want to change things up a bit was to make it a bit more like the classic series in in terms of having longer scenes. I just felt like he's got a bit more of a chance to. He's got such a great premise to play with here. He's got far mm. more of a chance to show off. You know, yeah, we're going inside of a Dalek and we're exploring. You know, <laughs> yeah. And we we didn't we talked over it about something else, but the bit where Journey Blue comes steps out of the TARDIS and she says, "Oh, it's." Uh, it's smaller on the outside. It's, a, it's kind of a nice reversal on the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the That's what you say. It's much more impressive the other way. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I detect sometimes in non-Moffitt episodes that Moffitt has, you know, had a pass over the dialogue because, you know, the wit, there's a certain um, flavour to Moffitt's wit and that's a Moffitt line. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Ah, yes. So I'm a bit torn with Danny Pink, you know, because um, mm -hmm. he's, you know, an extremely handsome man. So that's, you know, tick. But also <laughs> very boring. He's <laughs> a problem. He's right. a <laughs> man as well. Your thoughts? Um, I, Yeah, I quite like him as a character. I think he, he plays the this sort of inner turmoil, especially in this episode where, you know, the kids are asking him about, you know, being in the army, whether he's killed somebody. And then they ask that very pertinent question about, have you ever, you know, killed Henry who wasn't a soldier? And he just has that little kind of the tear running down his cheek. 
it's uh yeah it's quite I interesting i wonder if he's on a hiding for nothing when he doesn't want to go into the tardis he don't want to travel does he and no, I, I, and I sort of as an audience we're like well we're desperate to do that what is wrong with you, you know? yeah it doesn't endear him does it because it seemed like with this series they were aiming towards recreating the the original TARDIS lineup, didn't they? Where they had two teachers. And then I thought Courtney was going to join the TARDIS as well. So I thought we were going to have some adventures with two teachers and a, and a Cole Hill pupil uh, like Ian and Barbara and Susan. And they don't quite go there because uh, Courtney's only in like two episodes, isn't she? And, and like you say, Danny Pink just says like, no, want no part of that. I know. Then what we get is in the forest of the night. It's two teachers and a load of bloody kids. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind that one. You know, I think that's a bit underrated. That episode. Yeah, I, I I enjoy it. It it's it's just one that you it just doesn't hang together if you think about it. I mean, a lot of them don't, but that one in particular, you know, the trees would have you know kind of broken all the pavements and uh, <laughs> you know caused an enormous amount of damage. The last time I watched it, I felt like it really hit home post pandemic, where yeah. everyone the world changed overnight and everybody was stuck in their homes. It definitely had a different resonance last time I watched it. I'll never forget. I watched that um, pre-title sequence and the camera goes up out of the forest, Nelson's column. I went, I was on the phone to my other half and I went, this is going to be the best episode ever. This looks incredible. <laughs> and at the end, he messaged me. and was like, how was it? Oh, don't ask. Right? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. You know, these scenes here, introducing Danny Pink, I think I would be a bit more unkind in other seasons, but for some reason, where the the focus suddenly was on character again, I remember when I first mm. watched this, I was re really intrigued as to what was going on here. And um, you know, I'm going to have double standards because I really didn't like all of that. Oh, Amy Pond wants to stay at home and she wants to go in the TARDIS. But mm. actually, I didn't mind it here. I thought, okay, we're actually we're seeing we're we're playing with that in a bit more depth than we were back then. Yeah, because Steve Moffat was the, it's the first showrunner to to bring that isn't where to bring it in where companions aren't full time living above the TARDIS and occasionally visiting home, that they can have their own lives and careers and autonomy, and then choose to go on adventures when they want to. Or the Doctor calls and says, you know, we're going to go to see the dinosaurs on a spaceship or something like that. Do you want to come? And yeah, I think that kind of makes more sense in the modern era, doesn't it? Because you want the characters to have a background and or a family, whereas you know they, they yeah, the classic companions having absolutely nothing that would keep them on Earth, uh, and just just being able to leave. The alternative is to take the family with you, like uh, Graham and Ryan or Amy and Rory, you know, and that comes with complications as well, because then you've got that dynamic and drama that's playing out during the adventure. Yeah. So it's sort of lose lose, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. But uh, you get more of more of a rounded characters because you know what her, you know, you know what Clara's home life is like, her relationships, her, her work. I love this is great. Yeah, those coffee cups in the first scene. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's it. Weeks ago, she's had to make her way back from Glasgow. We're still doing that Aberdeen joke, aren't we? After all yeah. these years. Well, the thing that I really like about that is, is Glasgow still has police boxes dotted around in the city centre. So I, I quite like the idea that she might have gone to try a few of those <laughs> before she realised and then had to get the train back down to uh, to Call Hill. 
Um, I've got a slightly facetious question for you, but then this is a handful of blunt pen knife. Um, why does Jenna Louise Coleman look so sexy in red? I mean, <laughs> she's a beautiful woman, isn't she? But whenever they put her in red, she absolutely off the screen. She pops. She is. I've got to say the yeah, the first appearance in in Asylum of the Daleks um, definitely yeah springs to mind when you mention that. But the her her um blouse in this one has got eyes on it yeah um which is a real theme of this episode isn't it the you know the kind of eyes being the window to the soul thing um the the dalek's eye is the way that they get into the daleks it's like literally like the doorway into the soul then the the antibodies that we're going to see inside the daleks they look like eyes as well um kind of judging the these interlopers into the dalek um and you know at the end you've got the doctor standing in front of the giant Dalek eye, you know, kind of his soul kind of laid bare. And as, slightly uh, more sort of metaphorical, you've got the Dalek looking through the Doctor's eyes in one yeah. second, probably the most dramatic moment of the episode where he's like, I see beauty, I see this, I see hatred. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? But yeah, it feels it's like a very uh, strong theme He's a total poetry, isn't he? He just walks into a room and owns it. Peter Capaldi. Yeah, yeah, and and he does. He, he occasionally does some some poetry sort of mannerisms as well. Um, I, there's uh, he's face the raven. He does that. Um, you know, in poetry, sort of scratches his his jaw with his thumb. Um, and I think face the raven. He does that, and he uh, he does the the hand on the back of the the neck thing that Pertwee does as well. So oh, I think it's all quite deliberate. Fast upon a time, his bouffant is so big. He is practically yeah. on <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, <clears throat> I think yeah. Whenever I watch series eight, uh, I'm always sort of slightly taken aback by how short his hair is. Um, oh, because he don't make me do it, Mark. Oh. The thing is about Peter Capaldi is you can always tell where you are in this period by by the level of bouffant haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what though? I think this is. I know a lot of people say they prefer his crazier look. I really like his look in series eight. Yeah, I do as well, and and I like the, I like his costume more than the the series nine, the quite schlubby sort of uh, hoodies and jumpers and things. I think it's much more doctory for to have a nice crisp white shirt and uh, and the black. He's even jacket. got the the velvet jacket, hasn't he, with the mm. red lining as well, like Pertwee. Do you know, I really thought. Who, what's the actress's name who plays Journey Blue? Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. She, one, I think she's terrific in this. She gives a really naturalistic performance, like in in mm-hmm. an absurd situation as well. And that's how you've got to play Doctor Who. You got to do it for real. Um, yeah. It's kind of a shame at the end, you know. I thought she would have made a terrific Doctor Who companion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she's um, Zoe Ashton. Zoe Ashton, I salute you. Yeah. My trouble is we can't have two, you know, and I'm going to talk about that bit where she slaps him because I don't like that bit at all. But um, we can't have two <laughs> uh, strong female companions giving the Doctor a hard time throughout Series 8 because I have a feeling that's how it would have gone down. Yeah, we, we were supposed to be a bit like the Eighth Doctor with Liv and Helen, wouldn't it? You'd get that kind <laughs> of dynamic where uh, they're both kind of very capable uh, you know, kind of experienced companions that, that yeah, don't take any any uh, crap from him at all. 
What's interesting, I don't think we've seen this level of tension between a doctor and a companion since the sort of mid-80s that everyone complains about, you know, Sif, Doctor and mm-hmm. Perry, that sort of thing. But this works better, I think, because it's warmer and there are moments where they work together really well and they smile at each other and they joke together and you get proper emotional payoff as well. Mm. The moments when they're alone are different, aren't they? So like the, the the scene of TARDIS where he asks her if he's a good man, at the end of Deep Breath, he's asking her to, you know, he says, you know, I'm, I'm brand new kind of thing. I, I, I need your help. And then it's almost like a front when there's other people around, like the bit there, you know, like don't be lasagna and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. This thing about the don't hold your breath uh, reminded me of um, like a few years ago, I did a scuba diving course. And it's a thing about when you're, when you're ascending up through the water you've got to breathe out continuously because the volume of air in your lungs uh i can't quite remember what it is but say you go down 10 meters the air takes up half the volume 10 meters down than it does on the surface uh so yeah i think it's 10 meters so if you if you were 10 meters down you held your breath the volume of air in your lungs would double when you got to the surface so you can cause damage so you've got to breathe out as you as you ascend through the water and that's uh that kind of reminds me of that when they're talking about shrinking and you've got to you've got to keep breathing so it kind of makes sense in that sense because you know would the air shrink as well as your as your body you know i'm not i'm claustrophobic so the thought of doing that diving fills me with horror being in one of those suits (laughs) going underwater Um, it's it do you not love how this makes you think of Bob Baker and Dave Martin and the Invisible Enemy, shrinking people yeah. down and putting them inside things? Definitely, yeah. And I know in the complete they talk about Phil Ford was very keen, you know, not to repeat any of the the kind of the beats of that story to make it its own thing. I I think there is a few in here somewhere. Like <laughs> this sequence here, this this very trippy sort of avant-garde sequence as they're going. There's a sequence just like that in Invisible Enemy. And later on, when they're attacked by those things, and now, admittedly, special effects have come on a bit, but even the <laughs> bit where they're attacked by those golf balls in this enemy. Yeah. It's a bit, there's a, it's like the Tesselector as well, isn't it? It's got those, the idea of the antibodies that, uh, that they keep it safe. Well, and this here, where they're sort of coming through this circular corridor, it looks very like when you first go into the Tesselector. Do you remember there was corridors like this? Yes. Yeah, there was, yeah. You know, if this was a, an escape room or something like that, that's exactly what this would look like, isn't it? That would be great, wouldn't it? I yeah. Just feel like, that would... <laughs> in terms of like practical sets, this is a toughie to pull off because they don't often they use a lot of you know uh, they go on location a lot and they use mm-hmm. a lot of CGI, um, but they don't always build a lot of practical sets. Well, they had to do it for this one. Yeah, yeah, the corridors and stuff uh, are already practical, aren't they? And then the uh... The kind of the goo tank that we're going to see very shortly. The one of the biggest problems I had when this because this has been a grower for me. I think when I first mm. watched this, I reviewed it for my site and I gave it like a six. So I still liked it, but I had a lot of reservations. And I think my biggest reservation was mm. I found the sort of the fun kiddish idea of shrinking them down inside the Dalek bumped a bit jarringly against the sort of. Um, dark psychological angle that the show was taking actually now when i watch it maybe i've just grown up a little bit i find they complement each other really well yeah 
Yeah, I think so. It's um, I think it, it, it very got... much. It... Sorry, go on. Just I think it shares DNA as well with the first Dalek story of the of the rebooted series, doesn't it? There's there's quite a lot of Rob Sherman's thing in there of having. Although we see some more Daleks at the end, it's mainly about this one Dalek and making it scary and powerful again. It's a bit like aliens or something, this as well, isn't it? By having a you know kind of a bunch of soldiers inside, uh, kind yeah, of running around it's... as well. Well, it's kind of, you, just, you just don't know. There's like dangers around every corner, but you just don't bloody know what sort of automatic defenses there is inside of a Dalek. Yeah, and and all this stuff about how the you know they they've just fired that grapple into the Dalek casing, but because it's all one thing that it can that causes the Dalek pain and it feels it. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you read Rob Sherman's novelization of Dalek? I have, yes. It is phenomenally good. Yeah, I really liked it. And that bit where it talks about that when the Dalek remembers being put in its casing mm. and, uh, you know, the, the lid slams down and bits of tentacle are still stuck outside. So somebody comes along and chops all the bits off. It's really, it's really gruesome. But yeah, that, that all that stuff reminds me of the idea that they are uh, yeah, kind of melded to this machine, and you know, and it's it's part of them immediately as well. Oh my god, this sequence here where the fella gets killed. This is dark. This is mm. <laughs> the fella's evaporated, and then uh, goes down to feed the dinosaur. They go down the tube in a minute, and he's he's inside. Yeah. And I'm always quoting this line where the doctor says, "You know, you want to have a chat with him? He's the top layer over there." Yeah, it's a joke about the man's death. It's exactly the sort of thing the Sith Doctor did, and people don't like it. And I, I remember people had a bad reaction to this as well. But I, I think it's like that. You know, when um, the guy dies in in Pyramids of Mars, and I can't remember the Doctor says something, and then Sarah Jane says, "Sometimes you don't see him." And he goes human like that. That's what it most reminded me of more than more than the sixth doctor. I think is that, you know, he can't, uh, you know, he can't kind of get too involved in grieving somebody who's just died because the doctor he's kind of got to get on with it and and save the day. But this is very. There's quite a lot going on here, isn't there? Like, (laughs) well, let's have a funeral, shall we? While these antibodies. As well, this like... is Star Wars as well. This is like the bit with the trash compactor in the first Star Wars film, where they uh, they're escaping from the from the prison bit, and then they end up in the uh, the trash compactor, which is again, it's like this horrible, slimy, gloopy place. If this was an interactive place, you know, they'd absolutely you'd be yeah. down those holes <laughs> straight into the slime. <laughs> but like, like I like it when the Doctor is sort of optimistic and, and, and you know, fighting. I love all of that. I like that in Jodie Whittaker and some of the others. Mm-hmm. I really like it as well when he's a bit questionable and dark and you're not sure. To, because that keeps you on your toes. Otherwise, you just always, you know, it's called Doctor Who, for goodness sake. It's not, you know, Doctor, well, you know, we know what we're going to get all the time. Yeah, and and it's, it's, it's this incarnation's journey towards that, isn't it? In You know, from... Uh you know, kind of figuring out who he is. Because I think the thing I always think the thing to remember about the 12th Doctor is like his antipathy towards soldiers. He's just had 2,000 years on Trenzalore where he's been, you know, fighting continually uh, against like every alien race. So, you know, he hasn't done proper doctoring of traveling around in the TARDIS for 2,000 years, which is a, you know, a huge amount of time. So he is learning the role a bit again having effectively been a soldier all that time by you know having to fight off all the different races 
having such a nice time talking about Into the Dark. Like, did you have to bring up time with the Doctor? <laughs> <laughs> it was very strange, though, you know, that he spent all that time there and it seems to have got over it very quickly. We never mention it again. <laughs> well, this is, I think this is the implicit trauma in, in the 12th Doctor. This is how he has to learn to become the, the, the cuddly Doctor again that we see in Series 10. I think it's, uh, I think it's subtext. Cuddly? But I do think, are you sure? <laughs> There's still a few series... But that bit in, when he tries to convince Bill to shoot him. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's very odd, isn't it? Yeah. I think, yeah, well, I think... No, because, right, go on. The thing I was thinking odd about the time on Trenzalore is, you know, the kind of he's been there so long. He's he's seen people through their entire lives and known them for their, you know, for decades and decades and decades, way longer than he's known Clara. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's still sort of Clara that he, he kind of clings to, whether that's like because she represents the former life of being able to travel freely and stuff. But. Oh, she is a very pretty woman, you know. Yeah, that's it. And she did save him. Uh, What's and, great uh, is he asks the question in this, doesn't he? Am I a good man? And then he mm -hmm. has a phenomenal speech in The Doctor Falls with the two masters where he says, yes. I try and do what's right. That's the conclusion he's drawn. He don't know if mm -hmm. he's a good man, but he always tries his best. And that's the Doctor. Yeah. And this whole thing's set up in Day of the Doctor, isn't it? Because Clara is teaching her class at the beginning of Day of the Doctor about Marcus Aurelius and, and asking, you know, if, if he's a good man sort of thing. Uh, so it's kind of, yeah, seeded right right from there. And it is just worth noting, because I'm not sure if one of us has mentioned it yet, that Peter Capaldi is probably the best actor to play the Doctor. So you give him these really interesting things to do. And mm. it's electric. It's amazing to watch. And like, yeah. yeah, it may not have chimed with the wider audience. And I've had this conversation with Luke Malloy on this thing. And he goes, yes, you know, Stephen Moffat may be writing more for Doctor Who fans than he is for the general audience, but he took the show in really unusual and exciting places. And if mm -hmm. the trade-off is a few less people watched it, week on week but we have great Doctor Who to watch well that's a trade-off I'm willing to have yeah and I agree with that I, I, I can only really care about whether I'm enjoying it or not you know whether, uh, <laughs> I can't so selfish I can't mark honestly <laughs> but I, I've got no no control over you know the content of it or whether other people enjoy it or not but you know no I uh, for, for, for my money I agree I think he's the best actor to play the Doctor and I yeah he's, I find him completely magnetic every time he's on the screen my my one reservation is I don't know if he always had the material sort of worthy of him as an actor. And and that's entirely personal taste. I feel I feel like a couple of times a year he got just gold standard writing where he just flew and sometimes he, he did the best with what he had. Well, I think you can say that of any of the doctors though. I think you know the the best the best doctors elevate the material and make anything watchable. Uh, that's uh, but not all of the doctors were Peter Capaldi. No, no. I I, I is again is another doctor I would love to have stayed on and and done a bit more. Did you see him seal up that wall? That it looked very like Amy's crack, didn't it? <laughs> it did, yeah. See, I love all of this, poking around in tubes and pipes and things. This feels so classic Who to me. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And I suppose it's a bit like you know, being in the miniscope as well, isn't it, for, yeah. for the third Doctor in um, in Carnival of Monsters? Because you've got the 
you know, some of the kind of the bolts and things like that, obviously, are actually tiny, but they're they're huge as they as they walk around them. So, what about this wonderful idea of the Dalek seeing? Is it a supernova? I think so. Yeah, it's like the the birth of a of a constellation or something, isn't it? That it, yeah, and it's seen this moment of beauty and turned good, and the the battle damage has prevented its usual systems from kicking in and erasing it. And doesn't someone say to the doctor, like, well, you know, who cares if a Dalek, if you can have a good Dalek, you know, it's just one good Dalek. And the doctor's like, don't know, that's massive. Because if one yeah. can do it, they can all do it. Oh my God, we're going to get some sexy Dalek action now. Yeah. This this is, I think the, the Daleks have never been this well directed and this, this exciting and threatening. Because another thing that... It's just got a rapid rate of fire as well, which immediately makes it more threatening. I think the thing with loads of Dalek stories is fire once and then shout exterminate a loads of times where people have plenty of time to get away. Whereas these, uh, you know, they they fire very rapidly. They, they cut people down. That well, immediately makes it rapidly, much more threatening. They did it all in slow motion then so we could see every glorious yeah. <laughs> You know, people, people x-rayed as they're being exterminated. Oh, it's just fabulous. It's like the bit in Remembrance. Is, is I think it's the best Dalek scene ever. Is is when they're at Totter's Lane at the beginning of Remembrance, and you don't see the Dalek, but you see its point of view, and then the shot uh, throws the soldier. Um, it, you know, briefly becomes like a, a skeleton in, in negative as well. Uh, it's a bit disappointing when it comes out and it's on cobbles, really, and it's sort of tottering. <laughs> it's amazing up to that point. It looks a bit drunk, doesn't it, when it comes out? Yeah. <laughs> and just, just not a problem that we have here, though. No, no, there are nice flat floors here. But this up the states as well, because like so far we've sort of done all the exploring around the TARDIS and the tension has come around the defences inside the Dalek. Now mm-hmm. the Daleks are on the move. We suddenly swung around. The spaceship's been exposed behind the asteroid. The Daleks are all coming in. So now we've got big stakes. You're on a ticking clock. We've got to get this done. Yeah, it takes it up a gear immediately, doesn't it? Oh, so that was the... Oh, sorry, go on, go on. You mentioned the slap there that you don't you don't like Clara slapping the doctor. I don't think that's an appropriate action for a companion to a doctor. Um, and it does sort of tie into what I said. This relationship is a bit toxic because by the time mm. you get to kill the moon, it's it's very much so, and some parts of the caretaker as well. But again, I do think it's interesting that they've gone here. Yeah, Jackie slaps the doctor, doesn't she? In um... Aliens of London. Yeah, why don't I mind that? I find that very funny. Mm. Oh, I think it's because the Doctor's on the back foot there, whereas here he's been a total prick. He probably deserves it. <laughs> well, that's it. I think the thing here, and I think, again, you know, uh, Clara's got the, the blouse with the eyes on it, and she can see maybe what the others can't because the Doctor and all the soldiers here have spent most of their life fighting the Daleks and can't see, you know, beyond the need to destroy it and and you know see them as evil whereas you know she says well no what we've learned is that it, it can appreciate beauty whereas the doctor just goes oh no we were wrong it was it was always evil sort of thing uh which again is a bit like dalek in uh, the story dalek where rose sort of confronts the doctor although she doesn't slap him she's she kind of brings him down by saying you know like you're the one that's pointing a gun at me so it's the companion each time that makes the doctor see no, you are. Your hatred of the Daleks here is is kind of you know pushing you too far, sort of thing. 
I think my objection is I just don't think violence should be the answer. You know, yeah, appropriate response. Because yeah. I don't know, like if it was the other way round. Yeah, you would you wouldn't get that. <laughs> you know, like um, I think you got... it's like Colin no. Baker strangling Perry. It's just wrong. It is, it is, but I think it, it ties into um, as you were saying that Claret is an interesting flawed character that that you know it, it isn't an appropriate response. And they don't you know, like that though, Mark, do they? I've noticed this because I feel like Clara's a bit of a divisive character, and and I think Rose is a bit of a divisive character. They like Vonna because mm. she's tempestuous, but she's you know good. She's always good, you know. Yeah. Whereas they don't like these people that I, th- I think sometimes reminds people a little bit of themselves, you know. We can be a bit mm. selfish, yeah. <laughs> a bit jealous, and a bit angry, and a bit violent, and, and all of those things. And I think people don't like the reminder. And her overall story arc is is that she goes too far, isn't it? You know, ultimately she she pushes things too far, and that that leads to her death. So it's it's kind of early signs of that as well. You know, she she could just talk to the doctor, but she she pushes it a bit more and slaps him. <laughs> I thought her story was flying around time and space in an American diner is a fun ride. I thought that was where we were heading. Well, it is, but she's she doesn't have a full life, does she? She's she's technically dead, and she knows that she eventually has has to go back and face that. I'm just being naughty. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll have heard people suggest though this bit in a minute where that bit where she said to him, you know, she told him, you know, yeah, there is a possibility to do this, and the doctor says, look, whatever you're going to do, stop it. We're gonna do this, and we're gonna we are gonna try and turn this Dalek again. Mm-hmm. Suggest that's the first time he behaves like the Doctor that we recognise in the entire episode. Up to that point, yeah, it's yeah, it's that moment, and it's the moment where he gets the the music, isn't it? The the twelfth Doctor theme tune. Which is it's it's so different from the eleventh Doctor, isn't it? Where the eleventh Doctor had that. I love it. I used to yeah. run to that down the gym, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You couldn't run to the twelfth Doctor's one. The twelfth Doctor's one's more like the the sort of Batman theme in the in the Dark Knight trilogy, isn't it? It's it's more kind of orchestral and but somehow kind of quite majestic as well. I I love them both. I think they they two great pieces of music. Excuse me, did you just see those Daleks coming out of that explosion then? All of their stalks lit up, debris flying everywhere in silhouette. I mean, it's as close to Dalek porn as you're ever going to get. It is gorgeous. Yeah, they look absolutely beautiful. I think that and in Day of the... Some of the scenes in Day of the Daleks... uh, Day of the Daleks, sorry. Day of the the Daleks. (laughs) Three of them as well in Day of the Daleks. (laughs) Yeah, uh, no, Day of the Doctor, there's some of the scenes there, and it was model work in that, wasn't it? When there's that bit where the wall explodes and uh, the you see one of the mutants flying out of the out of the debris of the Dalek. I love that bit in Day, in Day of the Doctor, but no, oh, this is nice. this is the gold standard. I do think those three Jodie Whittaker Dalek stories, should, I think either the Daleks, the Daleks are shot really well in that, because the lights are low mm. in that warehouse all the way through, so they can do lots yeah. of reveals of them oh look at this <laughs> didn't we do this in new earth going up on a zip wire yeah yeah there was a scene like that wasn't there yeah but it's great because you've got clara screaming her head off and journey blues just like oh let's go yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh what about this go on go and see missy 
Yeah, so this is this is Gretchen, isn't it? And as I say, that that's it's like the effect they did with with Journey at the start. It's a flash of white, and then find them some sort somewhere new. It's so subtle. As I say, this I've watched this loads of times, and it's only occurred to me rewatching it for this. What a clue that is that that Mrs. Time Lodge is using that same kind of technology as the Doctor did when he materialized the the TARDIS around her. I, I it's don't so know if this is like the best arc in terms of um, enticing and payoff, because I'm not sure the payoff is entirely there. But in terms of interest and engagement, those scenes where Missy appears in the first half of this season, I think yeah. the best they ever did in terms of like intrigue. Yeah. I love it. And it, it's such a stark contrast between this, the, the inside of the Dalek or the, the, the spaceship where this huge battle's going on it, and it's all dark and there's flames and it's really industrial. And then this kind of afternoon tea <laughs> where, <laughs> uh, where Miss is sitting, it's just a moment of just absolute incongruity, isn't it? So oh, the original script. Uh, oh, so go on. Uh, the the original idea or the original idea in the script was the Doctor and Clara were, were driving Rusty around and taking on the other Daleks or like kind of uh, using him as a tank. Oh, that's quite fun, isn't it? It would have been quite cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm not sure if I like the idea of the Doctor going around with a weapon, but that's yeah. Quite I cool. think that's that's probably why why it was changed and they and, and they went for this instead. Well, I don't know. It takes me back to those scenes in End of Time, you know, when they're going around on that spaceship and Will's there going. Boop, boop, yeah (laughs) but you're right the the visual differences the messy scenes the scenes on the space station with the daleks attack it and the scenes it's very they're very different visually Mm. yeah but the i think the the real sort of the linchpin of this episode is here where and it's the doctor giving you a rousing speech of like you know all the wonder in the universe and all of this you know, and Capaldi's brilliant. You know, he's yeah. got a, a mad energy about him. And then he's the amazing, Dalek turns it? it on him and says, oh, I see your hatred for the Daleks. Yeah. Yeah, all part of the questioning, whether he's a good man stuff. And um, and it's like the, the Dalek in, in the episode, Dalek saying, yeah, you would make a good Dalek as well, isn't it? It's, it's all tied into the, that... Um, you know, how far do you go to stop them without becoming like them kind of thing? No, I'm not going to lie. I did get a little bit sick to death of the examination of the Doctor's character because it happened from one all the way through. And then we started doing it again in Whitaker's time with all the timeless child stuff. And I'm like, oh, God, we're still doing this? But I think this, again, this season, it might be my favourite example of this. Because it's a question I've asked: Is the doctor a good man? You know, he he, he can commit genocide in a heartbeat if the situation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's it's the whole all of Moffat stuff is about, isn't it? How the doctor is, you know, it's the promise and it's the it's the thing to try and live up to, and maybe you know sometimes he can't always. I love that in, I think probably my favourite Doctor Who book is the novelization of Day, Day of the Doctor, where there's, I don't know if you've read that, but the... It's, I, I very carefully did not read that. I I, I, it's, I love it. And um, it's such a great companion to the TV story because you see a lot of stuff that, you know, the scenes in between the scenes and things. There's a whole thing where it's written in the third person because it's, 
the doctor writing about or the time lord who is the doctor writing about the doctor in the third person and very occasionally uses the first person in moments where you think maybe they think that they're not quite living up to being the doctor and i was just uh, i i know some people don't like that book but i think it's absolutely brilliant and we read it a couple of times and you notice more things uh, every time you read it i think eventually you know i probably will get over myself and read it and think it's amazing <laughs> I love the Rose one for all the extra details he added to that, that massive sort of Hollywood ending with um, the London Eye coming off and falling sort of... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think um, Russell Davis just adds like a massive body count to Rose, doesn't he? He writes new people in just to kill them off. <laughs> but like, okay, this is kind of Doctor Who in a nutshell here, right? Or certainly the new series in a nutshell. You've got the most absurd thing, this mutant creature... You know, this Nazi mutant creature that looks completely absurd. And then they they put a beautiful supernova in its eye. And it's a moment of beauty. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about real emotions. Yeah, it's 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 something they've done brilliantly in the new series, isn't it? Right, right from I keep talking about right from Rob Shearman's Dalek, giving the character to a Dalek Mm -hmm. and making you feel sympathy for it when it's, you know, a prop. And it's all done through the other actors interacting with it and, and Nick Briggs's voice and what he can bring to it. Yeah, but I think that sometimes never forget Nick Briggs because I'll spend plenty of time on my Finish Big podcast ripping him. But his work on the TV series, he's given the sort of performances we've never seen before with monsters. Yeah. And it makes me think a bit with The Mandalorian, which I'm really enjoying the new series of at the moment. And there's some scenes where there's there's two characters who are wearing masks. And then a puppet um, of, of, of baby Yoda, and it's so compelling, and you can't see any human faces. And it is—it's all done with with voices, and you know the the artistry of the the puppeteer or the you know the CGI people and things like that. It is—it's you know, kind of incredible what you can do. Oh, it's just astonishing the different ways that you can make people feel, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the droids in Star Wars. I know you're not a big Star Wars guy, but just watching Andor. And there's uh, there's like a, a droid that they have around the house, and they've made him quite kind of sentimental and uh, and a bit kind of cowardly and stuff. And even though it is just like a metal um, kind of box sort of thing, it's got like a thing with its eyes pop out the top and like, but quite sort of nervously. And yeah, just imbued it with so much character. It's brilliant. I'll tell you what sort of level I'm working on with science fiction because remember that fella Koshamus died uh, oh, yeah, yeah. himself in Timeless Children. I was like, oh bugger off, who are you? I don't care. But when K9 went off in yeah. school reunion, I was fucking heartbroken. And that was just a tin I, dog. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of the few times where I've uh, had a bit of a tear in my watching Doctor Who is, is, is when K9 sacrifices himself in school sad. reunion. <laughs> oh my God. I love all these sequences of the Daleks blown up. There's, I think it's already passed now, but there's one sequence where all the Daleks are going across and you kind of got them in profile and one of them just detonates. Yeah. <laughs> it looks incredible. They do. They they look amazing in this. But then there's, that's another thing we need to remember as well is that back in the classic series, on the whole, when they blew up a Dalek, you know, you just saw a bit of plywood flying across the set. and, and Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, we're talking cinema, baby, you know? Yeah. That bit where there's just a lot of blue goo was oozing out of its, uh, or the casing of one of them. 
I mean, look at this with these two Dalek shells with smokes coming out of them. Yeah, Dalek. We saw that in like the five doctors and that, didn't we? But you can see it on a much, much bigger scale now. It, like tonally, this is so different from the previous mm. season, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. It feels feels a bit more kind of grown up in a way. I like the fact still got monsters and it poses the question, am I a good man? It doesn't mm. really answer it, does it? No. No, because that's what Clara says at the end, isn't it? She says, I, I don't know. And oh, then, yeah, this this echoes, you are a good Dalek, it echoes Rob Sherman's episode as well. Now, as good as this moment is, and I do like it, the cut to Eccleston's face when that Dalek says it in Dalek is the, one of the few mm. moments where I've gone, oh, <laughs> what the hell yeah. is he going to do now? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, she goes running after, doesn't she? And this mirrors a sort of the Adam yeah. thing, doesn't it? Of, oh, I only take the best. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, because I know some people sort of question where does the, where does his dislike of soldiers suddenly come from in this series? But uh, although it's never explicitly said, I, I do think it's, you know, a holdover from Trenzalore where, you know, kind of, wave after wave of soldiers of different races were, were sent against him. You know, he was fighting off Santarans and Cybermen and do you remember the Santaran stratagem? He spends the whole episode baring his teeth every time, you know, the military want to deploy weapons yeah. and things like that. I do think there is, you know, we've got press there with this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, with with unit and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it would be interesting if 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 these rumors are true of a unit spin-off series. You know, mm-hmm. are, are they, you know, will there be periods of conflict between them and the Doctor, you know, it won't be maybe always harmonious. It'd be interesting to to do that. And I'll wait to see the charismatic presence of Gemma Redgrave lighting up the screen. <laughs> Again, I really like her. I know. I, well, I'm going to always kind of put money on she's that. A, you know? She's a military leader. She doesn't need to be charismatic. <laughs> I know, but the fact that 98% of fandom thinks she's very dull. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have Lucy McCall coming after me now because she's a she's her favorite character, right? No, I I I like her plenty, and I, and I like now that she's got like the Brigadier. She's got this rich history of having appeared opposite so many different Doctors, and then through Big Finish, she, you know the uh, you've got the she's appearing with Tom Baker, isn't she? And um, yeah, once yeah, and future yeah. in the first volume of their 60th anniversary series. And you know what? I'm not entirely sure we've ever really dug into who she is in any great depth, but I've got a feeling Rusty Davis might do that, you know, when she appears. It, he, yeah, that, that's his thing, isn't it? Especially if she's getting a spin-off series, or if Unit are getting a spin-off series, you know, it's, it's going to be like Torchwood, isn't it, where we're going to learn about their, you know, a bit more about their lives and uh, that kind of thing. Oh, this stuff is gold. She's gone in that cupboard. She's come out wearing different clothes. Yeah. <laughs> this is the sort of stuff that is rages through Listen brilliantly. Yeah. And it's proper kind of rom-com stuff, isn't it? That as well. Or like, uh, you know, when somebody's like, I don't know, I've got two dates or something and they're trying to kind of go between them. And Even Moffat writing a rom-com. What a novel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should try it. I think you should try it. <laughs> maybe maybe a take on friends you know he could probably do that sort of thing couldn't he yeah definitely. oh talk about clara in red look at her in robot sherwood yeah 
Oh, she is beautiful, isn't she? Wasn't Clara, mm. um, is it Elizabeth Slayton's middle name? Is that right? Oh, I don't know. I didn't know Yeah, that. I think he named her Clara because Liz Slayton had died, didn't she, at this point? And that yeah. was Elizabeth Slayton's middle name. Right. I didn't, I didn't realise that. That's interesting. And, you know, mm. in terms of um, an actress taking a role that isn't always forcibly written it's kind of sketchy at times but having massive presence on the screen and charm i think elizabeth sladen and jenna louise coleman are in cahoots mm -hmm. definitely yeah oh, what do you think of robot sherwood <laughs> i really like it <laughs> you you dazzle me with that <laughs> I, well i think i think for me the central message of robot of sherwood is you know the whole thing about you know like oh you know believing in impossible heroes and that kind of thing um and, and you know the doctor kind of thinks that clive should have grown out of it i think as a man in his 40s who watches and thinks far too much about doctor who the message that it's okay just to go with it and believe in uh <laughs> believe in the in, in childhood heroes I think that's a message I can I can get on board with. <laughs> well, that surprise you. I like it as well. I just think it's a bloody good laugh that episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Especially when he says, I, "I don't need a sword because I have yeah. a spoon." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we've reached the end of Into the Dalek. Uh, now we have to name our three things to recommend the episode to everybody. I think we've done a pretty good job already, but let's just mm -hmm. summarize. Why don't you go first? Well, the direction um, absolutely is, uh, is 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 phenomenal right right from the start. But the Dalek battle scenes they never looked as good. If that was if they did a Doctor Who movie and that was on the big screen, uh, you'd you know be, be more than happy with that. It'd be perfect. I am gonna say daring to continue. The twelfth Doctor's story from Deep Breath because we remember the end of Deep Breath when he's on that dirigible with the Clockwork Man and we don't know whether he threw him out or not. Um, and you know they could have sort of tied all this up pretty quickly and made him a lot more likable. And instead they're playing a long game and mm. you know daring to suggest that actually maybe he's not such a good bloke. And he does do some pretty interesting things in the first half of this episode that could put people off i think it's a it's a really sort of dangerous place to go and i like doctor who when it goes into those sort of areas so i'm going to say the 12 doctors storyline this season continuing into this episode well i suppose this is a similar sort of thing to what i was saying about the direction but i love the star wars homages in it as well it's it's something we don't really often get in Doctor Who is that kind of scale of of space battle and, and excitement. And we mentioned some of them, like the opening shot is is quite like Star Wars, the um the bit in the goo tank. But also when the ship is being boarded by the Daleks, it's very like when Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers board Princess Leia's ship in the first one. So so all that gives it an epic scale of of science fiction that we don't often see. And it goes from the very small, doesn't it, inside the Dalek to that big epic scope of the battle in the asteroid field and, and being boarded and everything. So, yeah, I love that. My second thing is going to be, do you remember Series 5? Do you remember when Series 5 came out? And mm -hmm. it was such a robustly plotted season. And it felt as if a lot of time had gone into it. 
after you know maybe the specials felt a bit slapdash it really felt mm-hmm. as if it had, had some time to make his impact and really do a single season of doctor who that you'll never ever forget i kind of feel like that's happening here again in series eight i feel like in six it went a bit off the rails whatever people might say about how ambitious it is i'm not entirely sure it coheres and in seven there's a lot of well i'm doing sherlock at the same time and i'm panic writing and i think that shows a little bit but in a and i feel like it really shows in this episode because you've got the danny pink stuff coming in which you know is sewn into the season you've got the scene with mm-hmm. missy in the middle which is sewn into the season and you've got yeah. the doctor and clara's relationship playing out mm. that absolutely is sewn into the season I just feel like he's got a really good hand of the structure of this season and where sort of everything's being placed and how to sort of dangle the carrot. Yeah. I think that's being done Uh, well in this episode. And that's it. And I think in in modern TV, you need those things, those little hooks that keep people interested. So even if it's an episode they don't get on with, because they are all different. You know, like you say, Robert Sherwood is completely different to this one, it, tonally and, and everything. But where you've got those little moments that keep people watching to see what the payoff is, like with Missy, you say with their relationship, the Doctor questioning himself, whether he's a good man, all that stuff keeps keeps people coming back, I think. Oh, I never thought I'd say as one of my things, Moffat dangling his carrot at me, but here we are. <laughs> What's your last one? Yeah, I'd say Clara. I think it's a really, really good episode for Clara because she, you know, as I was saying, that thing about her blouse having the eyes on, she can kind of see what the other characters can't. Uh, it's, you know, she's the one that kind of works it out, how they're going to not, uh, you know, well, not have to destroy the dialogue from the inside, but make Rusty see again, you know, how it, how it can be good. And, yeah, the way that uh, that she brings that perspective compared to all the other characters in the story have been fighting the Daleks for years and years and years and have lost that objectivity, I think. Great stuff. Um, and my last one is going to be how this episode feels like a... how much this episode feels like a classic series. I mean, it's definitely a new series. There's lots of emotion. There's plenty of money, you know. Mm. But it feels like a, a classic series story. And purely for the reason for me is that it's set in the middle of this big Dalek war. So it's like mm. sort of Dalek's master plan or something like that, you know, when all, yeah. all the sort of background stuff's going on in the galaxy and we're just seeing this part of it. And I kind of like yeah. that. I, I like, I like how you can peek at a larger story taking place. And we don't need to know yeah. what, what the overall conflict is because what our interest is here, but it has like lots of nice color in the background. It's world building, isn't it? It's like Robert Holmes was, was so good at that stuff. But yeah, it immediately makes you think of like the Mavellan War or the mm. Death to the Daleks as that war going on and there's the plague that's raging across the galaxy and all that kind of stuff as well. No, definitely, yeah, works really, yeah, really well. These, these big monsters like the Daleks and the Cybermen, isn't it? It's that you can sort of um, land a story at any point in that timeline, you know, and yeah. then paint a, a bit of the picture, but the tapestry mm. is like the whole series. Definitely, yeah. I'm not sure we could wax lyrical any more about Into the Dalek if we tried. It's an absolute banger, isn't it? I, th- I think it's phenomenally good, yeah. And, you know, like, it's... I don't want to end this on a sour note, but I know, like, Fraser Gregory's wife stopped watching 
in this episode it was it was that line about um if you want to talk to him is that top layer over there she was like i'm done right and didn't come back until Jodie Whittaker was back in and i know Cy Hart has a lot of trouble with this season mm. doesn't like the doctor being you know dark and mysterious and 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 a bit unlikable i think you and i are living proof though that there is a large part of fandom that just is there for this stuff yeah and and like i say i i like i like just doctor to be different all the time you know whatever your mood is there's there's a story that you know you want a lighthearted one or you want a darker one or yeah it's uh, you don't want it the same all the time and I, and i like different the doctors to have different characters and for definitely to be a contrast against the the doctor that went before as well i think that's always an interesting thing to do and to play with and where you've got a companion that crosses from one doctor to another is to see their reaction to it and really like you say yeah. it's the making of clara as well in that sense isn't it that um the relationship's so different with the 12th doctor Oh, sorry to just prolong this for a second, but hang on, I'm trying to think how many companions do this. Ben and Polly do it, don't they? Yeah. Uh, Sarah Jane. So Jane. Adric. Adric. Uh, it's, so it's, 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 it's the ruin of Adric, isn't it? He, yeah. <laughs> from, from being you know, well-behaved with Tom Baker to thinking he's in charge with Peter Davison. Yeah. Uh, Tegan and this, but they've only just met him, really, haven't they? And Perry as well is the same, isn't it? And Mel, actually. Yeah, yeah, Perry, Mel, and then it's Rose. That's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because I think she has two very contrasting relationships with the two of them. Yeah. And then uh, Matt Smith. No, no, it's always Amy comes in, doesn't she, in the power? Yeah, that's it, yeah. And then it's it's Clara. Yeah, so there's uh, not many. It's quite a select group, isn't it? And I think if you'll ask most people, now there'll always be that one in 10, but if you ask most people who's Clara's doctor, they'll say the 12th doctor. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, is it two full seasons together, didn't they, as well, compared to half a season with Matt Smith? I've got a big question for you now, then, before we out. Well, where are we going next? Well, I mean, I'd always be up for Asylum of the Daleks if uh, oh, yeah. if that's on the cards. Now, look, you've got to be prepared, though, all right, because I'm going to come being honest. Okay, yeah, I can change no, your mind. I've got a great idea. Hang on. Let's do Asylum of the Daleks, right, and I'm going to bring in my other half as well, who absolutely loves it. So the pair of you can pick on me and tell me where I'm going wrong. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Well, Mark, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute delight. Thanks for having me back. It's been it's been brilliant. And uh, yeah, congratulations on the continuing success of the podcast. Back at you. I'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut it there. <laughs>